Well, good morning. Welcome to uh, church. Man, what a great way to celebrate the Lord with some great music. Man, so thankful to sing praises to Him. I want to welcome you to our gathering today. Thanks so much for joining with us at Christ Community. If you're visiting with us, I want you to know how special that means to us. You'd come hang out with us on a Sunday. Thanks for doing that. I hope that you have been encouraged today by the folks you've met and spoken with. And I hope that you are continually uh, encouraged throughout the service. I also want to welcome all those who are watching online. I know many people will choose to check us out online before they ever uh, come in person. And so I hope to meet you in the weeks ahead. And I know uh, people come here from all walks of life. And so I just, once again, thanks for coming. I know a lot of people come here with church hurt. And I pray that you don't have to experience that here. We've got a great church with a great uh, focus. And here uh, we hope to spur you on in your walk with Jesus. If you know Jesus, we want to encourage you towards holiness. If you don't know Jesus, we pray that we would have the opportunity for you to know Jesus and meet Jesus because he is the one that, uh, that changes and that saves. And we're so grateful for that. Go with me to the book of 1 Peter. We're in 1 Peter. And as you turn there, I want to tell you about two opportunities. Uh, first thing is tonight at 5.30 in this room, we are having what we call Christ Community United. And that will be a, a uh, sort of a major night of worship. And we'll be talking about some things around our future tonight. I am going to be sharing some things here in a moment. That's sort of a light vision sermon forward. And, uh, and so tonight we'll be talking more about those things. But it's going to be a great evening. It's going to be super special. And so I want to encourage you to come from 5.30 to about 6.45, 7 o'clock. Worship with us in this room. It's going to be phenomenal. I promise you, we're going to take communion together. It'll be really, really special. And so there'll be a ton of our members here and regular attenders and just uh, our Christ community family. So hang out with us here. Second thing is uh, in June, the last week of June, we're going to be taking a mission trip to Brunswick, Georgia. Brunswick, Georgia. I've been coaching a pastor, a young guy, uh, and he and his wife have five kids, and they're like early 30s, and he took over this church that's like a small church. He's just trying to revitalize it. And, uh, and so I said, hey, what if Christ Community came down and put on a kid's vacation Bible school for you, kind of a kid's vacation Bible extreme like we do? We could do it the week after ours. And he was like, that would be incredible. And so we're mobilizing some of our folks to go down to Brunswick, Georgia, see the beach a little bit, but spend Monday through Friday pulling off a, or Monday through Thursday, pulling off a v VBX for this church to help them in, uh, in their growth. So if you're willing to do that, go by our next steps or right after this service, we're having a, an interest meeting in the Connected Point room. We'd love to tell you more about that there. All right, First Peter is where we're at today and next week. You can consider this part one and part two. Um, this week, with the main focus on the truth that God's, wor uh, God's Word is truth that brings life. And next week, God's Word is truth that brings love. All right, two, two things. This week, we're going to focus on life. Next week, we'll talk about love, looking at verses 22 through chapter 2, verse 3. But today, let's dive into 22 through 25 first, looking at life. Peter writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, starting with verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news 
that was preached to you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we hold in our hands the Word of God today. This is the truth that we've been given to live by, to order our lives around. God, I pray that you would speak to us today from it, that you would help us to ground our lives, to stake our future in your word and what your word says, and to live by faith, trusting you with our life. God, would you bless the sermon today? Would you bless what I'm sharing today? Would you just be honored in it? And would you stir hearts to step into these things around the future of our church? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, since I've been here as pastor, I, I, uh, I've been here four and a half years, I've preached what, what could be called uh, vision sermons twice. And strangely, they both took place in my first year here, call it rookie pastor mistake, but, uh, but I'm, I'm thankful for it. Let me tell you why. The, the first sermon that I preached uh, around this sort of vision uh, was my third sermon in. The church was just, uh, had gone through, a, you know, 18 months of of no pastor, and even greater than that, sort of a long time without any sort of vision forward. And so I came in the pulpit, and a third sermon in, January 29th, 2017, I preached a vision sermon around these eight commitments that the church was going to be about. Now, these commitments were like just like good Bible commitments, like we're going to build and rebuild families, like we're going to reach kids and students and the next generation with the gospel. We're, we're going to care for the widow and the orphan, and we're going to send people on missions. And, and the church was like, yes, amen. Like they were just hungry for vision. And I'm so thankful because it was so early. I didn't really know how to define it clearly, but I preached this broad sort of drive forward. And I shared that a major hurdle to our future was our debt. We had a ton of debt, and uh, it was part of us, but I had to get some momentum going. And I quickly took two services and put them into one service. And all of a sudden, uh, when they got together in one service, they were like, oh, we're larger than we thought. There's more people here than we expected. Oh, you still go here? Oh, wow, this is, I didn't know you went here. And we immediately got some momentum. Then I spent the next nine months learning about our church, getting to know our history, talking with our people. I studied our strongest seasons and our weakest valleys, our valleys of despair and our, and our strongest um, mountains. I prayed and I spoke with leaders and and pastors and deacons and members and, uh, and previous staff members about our church and our history. And also I, I prayed every day uh, and, to, and begged God to wipe away our debt. At the time, the debt was $2.5 million carried out through 2023. And it was a massive thing. It ate up 45% of the budget and like 7% went to ministry. It was not good. But I believe God would pay it off in time, that he would wipe it away. Now, in July of that year, same year, July, I was preaching at a student camp, and I get a text from one of our guys that says, what's the wiring information to the church? Yeah, wiring, I don't know. So I call them, and the brother's in this room. He said, listen, I love our church. I like your preaching. I like what we do. And we need to be growing, and the debt is, is holding us back. So I want to help. I'm listening. I want to give a million dollars to the future of our church, to paying off debt. And I was like, what? Okay, sign me up. Great. And he gave a million dollars towards our church. He gave us 300 grand to update sound and lighting and 700 grand allocated towards paying down debt. 
I sat on that for a little while, and then October 15th, I came back and I preached a, another v- vision series, a series, an eight-week called Defining Our Future, where I shared our mission statement, a new mission statement, core values, and I ended that sermon with a, a sermon called Vision 2020, where I said by 2020, this is before a pandemic hit, um, I said these four goals would oversee the next three years from 2017 through 2020, that we would renew our commitment to reaching the lost, that we would establish a disciple-making culture in our church, that we would multiply our church by going back to two services, that we would revitalize churches and plant churches, and that we would eliminate all financial debt. And this was the day that I shared that we were given a million-dollar gift, and I called the church to a one-year giving challenge called We Believed, where we prayed and we begged and we asked and we gave generously towards this goal. And two years later, exactly two years later, in December 2019, we became debt-free. The debt was carried out through 2023, and the, the Lord answered our faith, and we paid it off in two years. God got a hold of our faith big time. Quite honestly, I would say that what has happened here at Christ Community in just under five years is nothing short of a miracle of God. He's done what seems had seemed to be impossible to so many people. And he's answered what we've begged him in faith for. Since the beginning of this church, our church has been built off of two things. Faith and the Word of God. Those two things, faith and the Word of God. Since I've been here, I've consistently centered our preaching and our ministry and our worship on the Word of God and what it says about Jesus Christ, lifting him high every week in everything we do. And I've called our people to live by faith, trusting God wants to use them daily. Now, why does this matter, and how does it relate to what Peter is telling us in 1 Peter? Let's go back there. I want to talk through this truth that God's Word is truth that brings life. Look at verse 22. Peter begins by saying, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Now, we've been talking about the gospel and its effect on our life, how it brings new life, how God has saved us and redeemed us and changed us and called us out of this world into his holy people. He has set us apart. We are distinct and different from the world. There are some people here today who live by the world standards. You're not set apart. You live in the world. Your life bears no resemblance to anything godly. Because you love the world. You're pursuing success. You're pursuing money. You're pursuing your life. You're pursuing you. You're pursuing what you want apart from what God expects and what God desires. Others of us have said, I am following Jesus. God's done a work in our heart. God's saved us. He's called us out. He's set us apart according to his work. He's made us his children. And here Peter is talking to you. Having purified your souls, by your obedience to the truth. This word here, obedience to the truth, notice it's not obey something. It's not obey my command or obey your parents or obey this. It is you have become obedient to the truth. This means that when we believe the gospel by faith, we became obedient to the gospel, became obedient to what the gospel calls us to. We submitted our lives to Jesus. 
This is when we believe the gospel and confess Christ as Lord, we declare that we are set apart from the world in all our ways and have dedicated ourselves to God. We surrender to Him and who He is and who we are. We've given Him all of us. And we have said, we are set apart for you. And this changes everything about our life. Changes everything about who you are. When you become obedient to the truth, when you give your life to Jesus, when you become faithful to the gospel, when you believe it by faith, you are set apart. And really, two things he talks about here briefly. First thing he, he says is purification. Having purified your souls. Purification was extremely important to the Jews. Jews would often ritually bathe themselves to be clean. In Exodus, when Aaron and his sons would go into the tent of meeting, or when they would come near the altar to minister, to make an offering of fire to the Lord, they were to wash their hands and their feet so that they would not die. That's Exodus 30. They had to be purified to meet with God. They had to wash off and be clean to step in the presence of God. Now today, when someone believes the gospel, when someone puts their faith in Jesus and it becomes, uh, and they become obedient to this truth, they are purified inwardly. God does this work in them. God makes us holy before him. He forgives us of all of our sin, our past sin, our present sin, our future sin. He wipes it all away. He forgives you. He, he takes away your shame. He takes away your guilt. He takes away all those things that you stand before him in and makes you inwardly pure through Christ, justifies us before him. He does the work of purification in us when we become obedient to the gospel, when we put our faith in this message. Now, you think about this and how this works itself out. The outward picture of the inward holiness, the inward purification is baptism. This first service, we saw a guy named Brandon share his story, and he was baptized. Why? Because he stood up here and says, Jesus has forgiven me. I've been made clean by his blood, and I now testify to his work in me. And baptism is a picture of an inward purification. So I would invite you, if you've never been baptized, to respond to be baptized today. We want our people to know that you've been saved. The Holy Spirit does this in us when we believe the gospel. So purification he talks about. Second thing he talks about is he uses two illustrations in this text. He talks about seeds and family. And so just on this small point, we join God's eternal family when we become believers, when we give our lives to Jesus. It works itself out in, in our family. He says, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, when we become a believer, we, be, we join God's holy family, God's eternal family. We become brothers and sisters in Christ. We become a child of God. We join God's eternal family, the father who was Abraham and Isaac and Jacob's father and David and Moses's and, and all these guys is our father. Paul and Peter and Timothy's God is our God. We are in this long line of God's family members, and it matters. Now, he starts talking about love. We're going to go there next week as we look at good love, bad love, and we'll talk more about that when we look at God's Word is truth that brings love. But this week, we're on God's Word is truth that brings life. Peter says this in verse 23. He keeps going. 
since, so do this since you have been born again. There's that word born again again. We've talked about this earlier on in, in chapter 1. That Greek is born anew. You've been born new. By His Spirit, God grants His people a new and second life. Being born again is that inner regeneration a person experiences when they give their life to Christ. Regeneration is the beginning of the Christian life. To be a Christian, you've got to have new life in you, born through the Spirit of God. That comes by believing by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you believe, God forgives all of our sin and births new life in us. Paul says it like this in Ephesians chapter 2, We were dead in our trespasses and sin, but that God made us alive with Christ. It's going from death to life. Jesus tells Nicodemus in John 3, in order for, for him to have eternal life, he must be born again, born anew. So there is a time, well, hear me, there is a time and a place where a person must hear the gospel and respond to it, either in belief or rejection. They must decide, is what God says about Jesus Christ, is what God says about our sin, about your sin, about my sin, about heaven and hell, about eternity, about holiness, about living for Him, about addiction, about sin. Is it true and if so, they must believe it, or if it's not true, they must reject it. And it's the believer's task to carry the gospel to every person and say, will you believe this? Please believe this. Jesus loves you. He, he lived a holy life for you. He died for your sin and gave his life, and he was buried, he took the wrath of God, and God brought him to life so that anybody would come to him would be saved. Will you believe it? They may say, yes, by faith, if they believe God would save them, give them eternal life, and make them pure before Him. Or they would reject it and say, I don't believe. In a way, what that does is that takes all of whatever truth that might be there and say, I know better than what the Bible says. I will take my chances with my own life and my own eternity. And we have the clear message right here before us. We have the truth. And our eternal destination rests on whether or not we put our faith in this truth. And, and others' eternal destination rests on whether or not they put their faith in this truth. And we have the message that gives life. And many of us in this room, many of us in this room, have made our stand, haven't we? We have been obedient to the truth. We have stepped into faith. We have believed the gospel, and we have cast our life into God's lap. We belong to Him, and we have said, all of me belongs to all of you. Your message is my message. Your mission is my mission. What you call me to is more important than anything else this world calls me to. That's what we said when we became obedient to the truth. We believed the gospel. We gave our lives to Jesus. Peter continues explaining what we've been born again by. Now, now, let's keep going here. It's really, he says, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Now, he talks about seed. Seeds are important. 
If you uh, use this metaphor of a seed as uh, relating to God's work of regeneration in us, when we plant seeds, we we put them in the ground, right? You you put seeds in the ground, you carve a hole, put them in the ground, you cover them up with dirt, and you put straw on top, and you water it regularly. And the point of doing all these things is to make it have life, right? Right. But what happens is the seed actually has to decay, and this, you're actually trying to kill the seed. It's got to decay and die in order it, for it to germinate and create life. And so this is what it's like to become a Christian. You have to die to yourself, and believe the gospel for you to have life. And, and that's inwardly. You've got to give your life to Jesus to have new life. But also in, in the earth, on the earth, while we're living, one day we're going to die in order to wake up in eternity with Christ. So he uses this analogy, but then he, he, he goes into this analogy of family too. And if you have a baby, you understand this. There is the seed of man that produces new life, but that seed is perishable. We all are going to die. It does not last forever. But when God generates a soul to new life, a person is born again. They are born anew by the Holy Spirit. And that seed is God's seed, and that seed cannot perish. If God gives you new life in Christ, if you become a Christian, then God will keep you saved forever. That's a good promise. That we not, if we believe the gospel at 10, at 15, if you gave your life to Jesus, and maybe you're wandering away from him right now, and you're like, I just, my life doesn't really look like I'm a a Christian. Then remind yourself of the gospel that you believed when you were 12, and come back to it, and go forgive me, Lord, for wandering. Because you are his if you believed. What's important here is that God saves us by faith, and his seed is imperishable. It's this truth that we belong to him. And how do we get it? Through the living and abiding word of God. Through the living and abiding word of God. Now, Peter, I want to talk about that, but I'll go there in a second. Peter now reaches back into Isaiah. He does this frequently throughout the text. Reaches back into Isaiah, and he, he uses this passage that was used to remind Israel that though they were in exile and their enemies were against them, ultimately God's people would prevail over their enemies because they wouldn't be able to stand against God's eternal word. He, he, looks, he says this. He quotes, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. His point, people will come, people will go, but God's word will remain forever. In the fall, the grass dies, leaves fall, trees sit bare, and cold sets in. That's a picture of you and I. All our glory will one day fade, All our money will be gone. All our success will be no more. All of our possessions in the dust. They will all be gone and mostly forgotten. In general, most people don't leave legacies. Most people are, you know, die and are forgotten. Just think about it. Most of us today can think about our parents. We know our parents. You might know your grandparents. But how many of us know our great-grandparents? or know their brothers and sisters, or know our great-great-grandparents. 
How many of us know their stories? Not many of us. We're all just two generations from being forgotten. That's why it's so important for us not to be deceived by the world and what the world promises us and holds out before us. And that's why it's so important that we stake our life on that which is imperishable, that which remains forever, the holy word of God, the message of the gospel that continues from generation to generation to give new life to people who believe it. This is our cause. Why it's so important to live our lives by faith for that which is eternal, not temporary. And Peter says this word is the good news that was preached to you. We have been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. This good news of the gospel has been preached to us. If you're a believer here today, you have heard and responded to in faith the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your eternity has changed. Jesus is alive, and everything about that truth changes our whole life. We have this truth, and Peter describes the the way in which we get that truth is through the living and abiding Word of God. The Word of God is living and abiding. Right here, the Bible that you're holding is God's holy word. The one that sits on your lap, the one that we're reading on the screen, it is God's word. And it's living and it's abiding. The gospel message specifically brings new life to people. It is fresh in every generation, at every age, in every person who picks it up. It is living, it is active, it is fresh. The word is pulsating with life. It's living, he says. These words produce results when they're read, They produce results when they're believed. They produce results when they're prayed. They produce results when they're shared. They produce results because they are living. They are God's holy word. This is not just some book, but the book. Romans 1.16, specifically, Paul talks about the gospel. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Hebrews 4 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I've talked literally to people who did not know Jesus, did not want Jesus, did not believe in God, but their life became so terrible that they became so desperate to look anywhere that they picked up the Word of God and began reading in Matthew some obscure text and the words literally became real to them, like they were leaping off the page that they could not walk away without believing by faith in the gospel because they're living. There's power in the gospel when we share it with someone else. This is why Satan wants so badly for us to keep silent, for us to be shut up to make us so nervous because he knows if that gospel gets out of our mouth the chances of it producing fruit are very high because it produces life it's living and it's active but it's also abiding it lasts forever the word of god is indestructible everybody and their brother have tried to kill the word and yet there have been They've never been able to put its lights out. They've tried to tear it up, cut it up, burn it up. But here we have it today. Countries have, have heaped Bibles in piles to burn them. 
But the gospel keeps going forward because it goes from generation to generation. This is why anyone who has the Spirit of God and the Word of God can affect change in the culture because the Word is living and abiding. And if you are a believer today, then you have committed your life to this message. Not just believing it and getting eternal life, but you've committed your life to sharing it, to telling it, to living it out, to planting it, to giving it away. This is what we're called to do because the gospel gives life. Do you believe that, that the gospel gives life? If you're here today, you're a believer because the gospel gave you life. You heard the message. Your life has irreversibly changed. It has changed forever, right? You have eternal life in heaven, right? You have forgiveness for your sin, right? You have a relationship with the God of creation. This is what we have in the gospel. And this is the truth that we need to believe more than ever. This is the truth that has burdened me and my leadership as your pastor. This is the truth that I want to govern my heart as I lead forward into our future. That the gospel gives life when we live it out. And we have these two things. We have faith and we have the word of God. Every one of us have the word of God and we have faith. And we're called to live these two things out wherever we go. You know who believe this? Clyde and Teresa Walters, Fred and Edna Lowry, Bonnie Henderson, and Frank and Louise Blythe. These are the seven founding members of what is now called Christ Community Church. In the late 50s, the Lord began to stir the hearts of the people of First Baptist Huntersville to plan a new work in East Huntersville to reach people in their community who were in the mill, the mill area, children and, and adults who, who saw First Baptist Huntersville, and they said, that's where the rich folk go, that's not us. And so what they said, if they won't come to us, if there's a barrier there, we're going to tear that barrier down and we're going to go to them. And seven people signed up to go begin. Seven laymen signed up to begin East Huntersville Baptist Mission. A layman by the name of Jim Green helped secure a building for them to hold their first Sunday school class in. This is like our community groups. They had Sunday school and they began meeting in a building that a layman bought and donated so they could reach people who wouldn't come to First Baptist Huntersville. The first meeting was November 13th, 1960, with an attendance of 14 people. Seven of those were the seven founding folks. The other seven were children and, and adults from the area. And they began with faith and the Word of God. They didn't have a pastor. They didn't have much money. They had just a little faith to believe that God wanted to use them in their generation to see a new church begun to reach people with the gospel. And so with faith, and the word they went. And look around us. Look at the fruit of their small little faith today. A little bit of faith can do a lot, can't it? Sixty years later, we sit here with over a thousand people who've been baptized at Christ Community since then. Over 150 of those have been in the last four years. Hundreds more have given their life to Jesus. Men, women, boys, girls have been radically changed because of the gospel preached from this place. Couples have been married here. Marriages have been healed here. The addicted have found freedom here. The broken have been healed. 
On top of that, pastors, church leaders, and missionaries have been called, trained, and sent out. Even next week, we will commission a young family to Romania officially as missionaries. My, how their seed of faith has grown into this tree of believers who sit here because of their faith. God has done this. He's used the faith of these seven people to to do this. A small faith is all it takes to get the attention of Almighty God. This is what it means to to, to leave a legacy, to give your life for building God's kingdom. I, I share this with you today because more than ever before, our city is in need of more churches like Christ's community. And we have the answer, faith and the Word of God. When we plant the Word of God, the living and abiding Word of God, the enduring Word of God, the Word of God that is planted in a community, in a community that grows and flourishes and blossoms and stays from generation to generation to generation to generation, that is what it means to build a legacy. Not to cast our money on things that will perish. Not to waste our lives on things that are worthless. But on building God's kingdom. This is what it means to live by faith in the Word. Today, I want to call our church to have a burden, a burden for your community. I'm asking you to have a burden like Frank and Louise Blythe had. God has already put this Blythe burden in the hearts of some members of our church. And I want you to to hear what we're doing because of this burden. Check this video out. Frank, how did you feel in in taking on uh, such a challenge uh, for the Lord in in going out to that community and reaching out to Him? Well, you serve the Lord over there just as well as you could over here, couldn't you? Clyde and Teresa Walters, Fred and Edna Lowry, Bonnie Henderson, and Frank and Louise Blythe. You may not recognize those names, but they are the ones who stepped out in faith to begin what we now know as Christ's community. In 1960, they left First Baptist Church in Huntersville to begin our church. They didn't have a pastor, they didn't have much money, but what they had was the enduring Word of God. They had a burden in their heart for the lost to know Jesus. And they had a seed of faith. And we sit here now, all these years later, as a fruit of their faith. Today, Christ Community is reaching teenagers and students, a a new generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're training pastors and church leaders. We're sending missionaries to the nation. We're on the backside of a worldwide pandemic. And what are we doing today? We're doing the same thing that... Frank and Louise Blythe were doing all those years ago. We were, we're, we're forwarding the gospel. That's what we get to do is forward the gospel as God's people. And today I want to, to share with you some exciting news in the way that Christ Community is continuing to forward the gospel and to forward faith. You know, we have our own Frank and Louise Blythe right now in our congregation in the name 
Rob and Audra Paget. The Pagets have had a burden for their community to know Jesus. They live in the Denver Iron Station area of Lake Norman. And for the last couple of years, they've had a growing burden for their community to have a Bible-believing, Christ-exalting, Great Commission-focused church that preaches the Bible straight from the Word of God. And, and they have had this burden, and they have built a community group around this burden, and this group has grown. And so what we are doing is we are coming alongside of this community group, and we are turning it into a new congregation of Christ community. Right now, Christ community meets in three services. We're soon to meet in four services and in two locations. And so what we're doing is we are building a core team for Christ community in that area, in the in the Denver Iron Station area. So if you live in that area, if you live in sort of the um, Northwest Charlotte, West Huntersville, South Denver, Iron Station area, we want to invite you to join the core team as we seek to launch something new in January of 2022. But we need you to do it. We need you to pray. We need you to have a burden for it. And we need you to go. Now, if you're not in that area, what I need you to do, if you live outside of the five miles around this campus, my prayer is that God would put a burden on your heart to have a desire to reach your community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And some of you have a real burden for your community. And we would love to one day come alongside of you and your community group that is growing, that is reaching people to begin a new congregation of Christ community in your area. Church, we're really excited about all the ways that God is advancing the gospel through the ministry of Christ community. We're so excited about going forward on mission with Jesus together. I hope that you'll pray for us as we step into these waters, as we step out in faith to see future generations have what we get to experience in the fruit of faith. I love you, church. These are exciting days. Robin Audrey, would you stand up back over there? Any folks from your group in this service? If, you're, if you are, stand up if you're in the service. All right, great. Oh, there's some. Hey, guys. Hey, we're really excited about you all. Hey, tonight at Christ Community United, we're going to be having a conversation with Robin Audra a little bit about where they're at and their story, and it's going to be really good. And I'm really excited about that. Really grateful for your example of faith. Love you guys. So, thanks. Today, we continue in the faith of those who started our church. We're excited about coming alongside of this group to formalize a new congregation, and we're moving into becoming one church in multiple locations. Now, um, let me tell you the plan briefly. Um, there, there are 30,000 or so people in the Denver Iron Station uh, West. There's tons of people. Only a few churches, though. And that area is about five to seven years behind the growth we've seen at Huntersville here in Huntersville, this area, and they need more churches. That's why we're going. Um, we're really excited about that. I, it's no surprise that I love to train um, people who want to serve the church and who can competently handle the Word of God. I'm currently talking with a guy who will join our team to be the main leader of this congregation and will be the primary communicator there. Uh, our team will absolutely be involved. Uh, we're going to have Christ community culture there. We're going to be, I'll, I'll preach there some. It'll be very much one church in a couple locations. We'll do Christ Community United together. It's just going to be really special. I'm really excited about it. 
And we're working to secure a few other staff positions. But what is most important is building a core team that will help launch this new work. I'm praying that God would give us a core team of 75 people. And uh, prayerfully, 50 to 75 adults, and then whatever other kids want to come. I'm praying that we'd be able to build a strong core team. Uh, we'll record a, recruit a core team over the summer. We'll train the core team in the fall. They'll come to our 930 service here, meet together during the 11 o'clock hour uh, in the sanctuary maybe, and have fun, build, pray, plan, strategize. And Lord willing, we'll launch something in January of 2022 in the area. I don't know yet what it's going to be called. It's Christ Community something. We're trying to figure all those things out. But pray for us. And if you want to go to the core, if you want to be a part of the core team, if you live toward West Huntersville, the whole area over there, that way, um, go to ChristCommunity.com. A pop-up ad will, will, sign, will, will be there. Sign up to join the core team, and we'll be getting with you. Now, if, you're just, if you go here and you live here and you love new things, you know, let's talk about it, okay? I want people to go who live in the area, um, so let's just talk about it. Um, I need you to be here. At the same time, everyone else who doesn't live within five miles, who don't live within five miles of this campus, my challenge to you is to have a burden for your community. Because we are ambitiously moving into multiplication. The city of Charlotte is 70% lost. 700,000 people don't have a relationship with Jesus. Our church is about 1,200 people um, on, on average month-to-month -month attendance. You know, that's not a lot. We need more churches. So I need you to have a burden for your community. If you live in the Charlotte North area, begin meeting together. Open up your house. You have a house. You have a dinner table. Have people over. Begin praying. Build a core team. Begin gathering in a community group. Begin praying that God would birth something new in your area. We would rather come alongside of what God's doing in your group than having to go in and try to start something on our own. We want to be responding to burdens of faith and the Word of God. So I pray that you would go with us to pray for us, but this is not going to be cheap. And so let me just share with you briefly what we're doing every year, every summer we do what, what we call Summer Giving Challenge. Summer Giving Challenge is the, the Sundays between Memorial Day and Labor Day. It's 15 weeks that uh, we tell you how much we need to run ministries for the summer because if you didn't know, we live close to the beach and close to the mountains and everyone loves going to both places. And so we let you know what we need financially and we add some other things on there. This summer we're adding six summer interns that we pay for 10 weeks. And so they will be in that. We're doing the Brunswick mission trip to Georgia. Uh, and so we're going to pay for some of our needs out of that summer giving there. Uh, we, we do summer student camp scholarships out of that money. And so for those 15 weeks, our summer giving challenge theme is forward. It's the theme this year is forward. And the total need is $554,670 for those 15 weeks. And so we want to encourage you to be generous in your summer giving. As you're traveling, be generous in your giving because every bit of financial overage at the end of our budget year, which ends September 30th, is dumped into a fund that we call the Multiplier Fund. And that fund goes toward any sort of future multiplication. It's like our savings account, basically. We do facility renovations out of that. We'll do some of those this summer. But um, quite frankly, we would rather build up our savings so we can spend it on mission rather than having to borrow money from a bank. We want to stay as debt-free as we can. And so we want to encourage you toward financial generosity. I'll uh, 
talk some more about that tonight. But be faithful in your giving. Give to the ministry budget of our church. A few of you will want to give straight toward missions. You can do that. We have a designated fund that you can give straight toward missions. If you want to give a financial gift straight to missions, you can do that. We use those things for multiplication as well. We are so thankful for this vision that Audra and Rob have and their group has. And I pray God would birth more burdens like this in your heart. Why? Because the gospel gives life. The gospel gives life, and we're called to go in faith and to go with the word to give it. You know, back in April, Louise Blythe passed away. She was the last charter member of our church to die. And I was standing in the, in the graveyard where her uh, graveside was happening, and I was participating with uh, Jack Holmesley, the previous pastor here, and I was standing there right up the road at First Baptist, and I was looking at Jack talk beside the uh, grave of Frank and Louise Blythe. There they are. And I'm standing here, and I look into the distance, and back here is another tombstone that says the name Cheryl on it. And in that moment, when I recognize the name, I, I, I remember, God brought to memory my first year here when I studied this story, and I felt like the Lord spoke to me that this was to be our mission. You may not know James Sherrill, but James Sherrill was the first person saved as a result of Christ's community being started, of these seven people going. The first person led to Christ here was led to Christ by Frank Blythe. James told Frank, I won't go to church with you. I don't want to know Jesus. And Frank says, no one tells Frank Blythe, no, we're going to talk about it. <laughs> and sure enough, James Sherrill meets him one Sunday morning before church, before, community, uh, before Sunday school, and Frank shares the plan of salvation with him, and James gives his life to Jesus. And James, uh, Frank's comment was, we have one in heaven because we started this mission. And today, James's body lies in the same graveyard as Frank's. And James's soul sits in the same eternity with Frank's. Amen. When we die, our bodies go in the grave and we go to eternity. Whose souls will be there because of our faith? Whose souls will be there because we were passionate about this gospel? Whose souls will be there because we believe the gospel gives life? Whose eternity will forever be changed because we love them enough to tell them the enduring, living, abiding word of God? The Lord said, this is what it's about. And in this graveyard sits many more people who built this church by faith. And I just said, God, this is powerful. I immediately went after that funeral and I pulled up that video and I found that scene that you saw up there. And he says, Frank, why'd you do this? And Louise says, well, you can serve the Lord just as good over there as you can over here, can't you? Listen, it spoke so clearly to me. It's not about the tips and the tricks and the lights and the sound and the cool worship and the choral band. It's not about the comfy, cozy kids ministry or the student ministry. It's about reaching people with the gospel and our lives 
being available to be used by that God who saved us and called us for His glory. So the question is, will you serve the Lord in your generation? We can't think of what might happen. I mean, the pageants are going to start a, a congregation that they're going to invest in for a long time, and they might die, but they may never see the real fruit of something like this for 60, 70 years down the line. That, I pray, at the end of my tenure as pastor here, 20 years, whatever that might be, that there'd be 20, 30 pa- churches planted as a result of our faith, of your faith. Because I'm one guy preaching from a stage, and you're 300 people in here going out with the same faith and the same word. I wonder today, what does God want to do with your burden for him?